We want to consider a Christian work ethic today from the Word of God. What does the Bible tell us about how to work? And there's much in its pages from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible by way of example and precept on how the Lord wants us to work. He has not left us in the dark on this subject, and neither has He minimized this subject by only addressing it once or twice in a few places. He's addressed it throughout the Bible in many places. I remind you that Luke chapter 8 and verse 18 as part of the parable of the sower, has these words to say. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he seemeth to have. In the religion and economy of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. If you come into this house today tired... And if you let your mind wander now, the Lord is going to take you down according to His promise. If you come into this house, and you have prepared yourself, and you have prayed for this, and you'll participate by applying your heart and mind to hear, and consider, and make application of the things that you hear to your own life, you will increase in knowledge and understanding and God's blessing and favor in your life. His favor is more important than life itself. If he withdraws his favor, we are helpless and hopeless. With his favor, anything can work out, and he can take care of us in any set of circumstances. Luke 8, 18, the whole purpose of the parable of the sower was not to describe four different kinds of ground and the possible spiritual preparation that God had made. The purpose of the parable of the sower was for men to humble themselves and listen attentively and not be like the stony ground, not be like the wayside, not be like the thorny ground. And if you've got busy thoughts running through your mind from the worthless little things in your life, then you're the stony ground, the thorny ground, and you're the wayside. The devil's going to snatch away the Word of God, and you're going to mount to nothing. But if you'll humble yourselves right now and say, we've got a few minutes to hear the Word of God, let's hear it and let's hear it well. I gave you the reasons for my preaching on this subject in the preparatory email that you received yesterday morning. And I hope that you looked at those because I'm not going to repeat any of them. I want to take in to a number of rules that we can cover today. They're going to overlap in certain cases. In certain cases, it may become so many that you'll forget them. But if you can lay hold of a few thoughts... Today, of things that you can do better to please the Lord, then we will have accomplished the purpose for opening the Bible. Amen. The first consideration we want to make this morning is that Christians work respectfully. And we can go to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 to remind ourselves of something we learned just a few weeks ago about this fact. Christians work respectfully. There's a lot of disrespect that goes down on most jobs today, but it's not according to the Bible. In the Bible, rulers, whether they be in the civil realm or the business realm, are called little gods with a little g. That's what the Bible calls them. They're gods because the great God of heaven with a capital G has set them up as his representatives for the benefit of society, if it's civil authority, or the benefit of business, if it's employment authority. What does this point mean? It means that Christians fear and honor and obey their masters in all things. They fear them. The Bible says with fear and trembling. 
Servants, obey your masters in all things with fear and trembling. That's what the Bible says. I don't care what the modern man says. I don't care about management by committee. I don't care about Japanese style of management. They don't know how to manage. There's never been efficiency like the Bible describes and like America has enjoyed for a long time by honoring authority in the workplace. And we do it respectfully. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 5, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as an evil which proceedeth from the ruler. It starts at the top and comes down into society. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses, and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Princes should ride horses, and servants should lead those horses, and clean up after the horses. There is a strict division of labor in God's idea of things and God's plan for things. We learned this when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes a few months ago. This is an error, and it is an evil, according to Ecclesiastes 10. Since there's so little respect for authority today, you can easily stand out as a Christian by showing respect and honor to those in authority over you. You can say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You can cheerfully and agreeably and quickly say that you want to go do any assignment that they give you. You can protect their integrity, reputation, character, and office behind their back when others are talking against them. You can show respect for authority and be different. The reason your boss is your boss is because God chose your boss to be your boss. Now, that isn't very deep, but it's the simple truth of the Bible. The man or the woman that you have ruling over you in the workplace is the one that God chose to rule over you in the workplace. And therefore, you should give him or her the respect due the office that God put her or him in. The Lord wants your boss on the horse and you walking beside the horse. Do you get it? You're not equals. That's why they're boss. All men are not created equal. There aren't any two men created equal. They're all different. And the cream rises to the top and intelligence rises to the top and management ability rises to the top. And that's why you're under them. Because you're not as good as they are. They don't need your opinion. If they needed your opinion, they would give it to you. Anything that you can come up with, they've already tried and it didn't work. They flushed it already. Do you think workers have ideas to run a business more successfully? The chances of that are you bringing rain this afternoon upon Greenville, South Carolina. Respect your bosses. Employees have responsibilities, not rights. They all want to whine today about their rights. You don't have rights as a worker. You have responsibilities. It's a privilege to have a job, not a right. I don't believe that it's a right to work in any respect of the word because the Bible doesn't teach that. It is a privilege to have a job. And therefore, it brings responsibilities upon you to fulfill that privilege as well as you can, or you will lose the privilege. You don't have a right to it. You don't have a right to address those over you any way you wish. We do not believe in freedom of speech in any such way. I don't care what our Constitution says. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, not answering again. It says it. Do you need more words? 
Do you need the Greek and the Hebrew to explanify that difficult statement? Servants, be in subjection to your own masters in all things, not answering again. Pleasing them well in all things, not answering again. Man, you want your children and your wife to obey in all things? Show it on the job. Man, you want your children and your wife to do things well to please you? Do it yourself on the job. You do not want your children or wife to talk back to you? So don't do it on the job. We all understand it. It's easy enough. If a Christian works respectfully, they're going to be different and they're going to stand out. And they're going to please the Lord. Look at chapter 10 and verse 20 in this book of Ecclesiastes. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought. That verse is getting harder and harder to practice, isn't it? Or have you all turned off the news 100%? Every single day, we have more and more reason to violate Ecclesiastes 10.20, but all the reasons that might mount up to, for us to violate 10.20 aren't sufficient to violate it. Amen. It's the Word of God, so we're going to keep it. And if you've got to turn off all the news and cancel your newspaper subscriptions and avoid looking at anything, then go ahead and do that. If that's what it takes to keep Ecclesiastes 10.20, and it very well may take that, then that's what we need to do. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. Those are your landlords and your bosses. They're more successful than you and they make more money than you. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. When you're in your bedroom with your friend, when you're in your bedroom with your spouse, it is not the time to talk against your boss. It is not the time to talk against your boss's boss. It is not proper to curse the king, no, not in your thought, which would be our president, which would be our Congress, which would be our governor, which would be other civil rulers that we have. Christians work respectfully. They respect and honor and fear with trembling. And they don't answer again, and they please them well, and whatever they ask you to do is what the Bible teaches. And that will set you apart from the world. That will glorify God, because God and the holy angels love the respectful treatment of all positions of authority. The angels, the holy angels of God, do not even bring railing accusations against the wicked rulers on earth. Second Peter chapter 2, Jude chapter 1. And we should not do so. We do not want to curse or speak against our bosses in private or even in our hearts. We want to respect them. God said, honor is due a master in Malachi chapter 1, 6. He said, where's my honor? He just assumed that they all honored their masters. But where's my honor? In Malachi chapter 1. This is basic. Yes, sir. No, sir. I'd be happy to do that, sir. I'll get on it right now, sir. When he says jump, you know the answer. Think. Oliver North and Ronald Reagan. Right. Do you mean to tell me if your commander-in-chief told you to stand on your head in a corner, you'd do it? Before I did it, I'd tell him, it is my honor and privilege to stand on my head in a corner for you, sir. Now, that's a real Marine. He was trained to obey authority, 
And he understood it. And when you're on the job, you are to obey authority. And that authority extends all the way up through your boss to his boss, to the board of directors, to the ultimate owners and authority in any any company in this country. And that is the owners who are called the shareholders. And whatever comes down, comes down by their representatives called the board of directors down to your boss's boss, to your boss, to your supervisor. And that's how authority is carried out in the business world of America in 2009. Respect authority. Christians work respectfully. Do you love showing respect to those in authority in your company? He's a manager over you because he's better than you. If you don't think he's better than you, then wait until he reports to you, then you can have his respect. So just go on by him. Show him how to do it by outworking him on the job. He's there for a reason. And the greatest reason is God's providence. Because the Lord knew that he's just the boss you needed at this time in your life. The perfect boss for you. Christians work fearfully. We've had one point already. Why don't we mark them today so that we can keep track of them? Because we're going to try to cover as many as we can and quit this study. Christians work respectfully. Christians work fearfully. What does this rule mean? Christians work fearing God, for all wrongdoing is going to be judged on the job. All wrongdoing on the job is going to be judged. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, I've made the point before, I want to make it strongly. If you do not humble yourself to the Word of God and how God wants you to work, whether you're a student or a child at home or someone that has a job, the Lord is going to judge you and there is no respect of persons with Him. He is not impressed by the way you dress. He's not impressed by the excuses you give. He doesn't care about your title, your position, your pay, or your rank. He doesn't believe in equal opportunity. He has no respect for anyone except those that obey Him and put their trust in Him and keep His commandments. Them He respects and He shows them His favor. And His favor is greater than life. Amen. Look at Colossians 3.25. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. If you do not practice Bible rules for employment, you are going to receive for the wrong that you have done. God will blow against your employment efforts. You can work ever so hard, and God's going to blow against you, and you will never amount to much. You say, how do you know that verse apply? Look at the, the following verse. Is it still talking about employment? Colossians 4.1? Yes. yes. How about the previous verse? Is it still talking about employment? Yes. The previous verse? Yes. The previous verse? Yes. The context is employment. All the positive reasons for working hard are given in verses 22, 23, and 24. The Lord is going to give you the reward of the inheritance. You're serving the Lord Christ when you work hard in a job. But then he adds some negative reinforcement. And that is, if you don't want to keep the commandments of God about how you ought to work on the job, he'll judge you for it. And when the Lord judges, it's miserable out there. It's miserable. The Bible says you have a bag, you put your wages in it to go home, and there's holes in that bag and the wages dribble out, and you never have what you think you ought to have. 
you go and harvest a field and it looks like you've got 20 bushels per acre in yield and you get home and measure it and it's only 10. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read the book of Haggai. It's two chapters long and it's easy to understand. When the Lord judges, it's terrible. Christians work fearfully. Our beloved brother Paul didn't suggest good work habits. They're the commandments of God. And if you don't keep them, God will judge severely for them. This is a simple point, but it profoundly affects your, your success on the job. Are you going to do it God's way or are you going to do it your way? Do you know that slothfulness on a job is enough to get excluded from a church? Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians 3. When 2 Thessalonians 3 talks about withdrawing yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, what is it talking about? Serial, a serial murder, murderer? Not working diligently and being a busybody and wandering about from house to house. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which ye received of us. Paul, what disorder are you talking about, and what tradition did you give us? Let's keep reading. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. This is the disorder under consideration. Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing, for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. This is the disorder. Working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. That section of the Bible on church judgment is about work habits. Bad work habits are to be punished by the church of Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because the apostles gave commandment and tradition by their example on how hard you ought to work. The apostle Paul labored day and night. He said he worked with his own hands. He had a second transferable skill that was beyond his seminary degree and his calling as an apostle. He was a tent maker by craft. He had a transferable skill, and we're going to get to that before the day's over. Every one of you better have at least one transferable skill. And we will define exactly what that means. Paul had one. He says he abode with Aquila and Priscilla at Corinth because he was of the same craft, for they by occupation were tent makers. He had a skill. And he labored day and night. And he tells us that in about, to about three different churches. How What a great example he gave so that those slothful, lazy church members would be condemned by his example and then condemned by the Word of God. Christians work fearfully. When your boss tells you to do something, you better consider that word is from God Himself. And go do it. Until He wants you to go into the backyard and kiss the belly of Buddha and say that Buddha is God and Jesus Christ is not, 
you should obey everything he tells you to do. Gehazi one time did not obey his master. Do you, are you familiar with the story? Gehazi was the servant of Elisha. Elisha told Naaman, I'm not going to take one dime of your Syrian money. Now take everything you've got and go back to Syria. Worship the Lord God that's healed you from your leprosy. Gehazi is looking at all the gold, the silver, and the good clothing that Naaman had offered Elisha. And when he was down the road a little piece, Gehazi ran after him and didn't obey his master. And he took some clothing and some money and he came back. And Elisha said, Gehazi, don't you think I went with you when you went down the road? You thought you weren't being seen. Don't you think I saw everything and heard everything that took place? Now because you didn't obey me, the leprosy of Naaman is going to be on you and your children forever. I tremble to say the words. You may think that I have no trembling or fear to say things like that from the Bible. It gives me a dry throat and it causes my heart to stop for a moment. That is severe judgment. Why? Because he didn't obey his master. You say that's an extreme example. I know that my brother, our brother, our beloved brother David, made a covenant with Abner. And his nephew, Johab, who served him faithfully for 40 plus years, killed Abner out of jealousy for the office of captain of the host of Israel. And when David was on his deathbed, David called Solomon over, pulled the oxygen hose away from his nose and mouth, and said, Son, you have the wisdom to know that you can't let his hoary hairs go down to the grave in peace. Kill him. Because he didn't obey his master. And anybody who doesn't obey their master is a threat to the kingdom. And so that's what David meant when he said, you have the wisdom to know what ought to be done. You've got to get rid of Joab. Christians work fearfully for another reason, because they know that good men and godly men around them can't subsidize, support, or bail out, or bail out slothfulness or folly. If you're being foolish about the way you manage your money, if you're being foolish and not ensuring what you have, sorry, tough luck, isn't it? God expects you to be wise. I've preached entire sermons on this subject before, and this is no surprise. I've preached it since I was ordained. Charity does not include helping foolishness or slothfulness. We just read from 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that if you're lazy and don't work, neither should you eat. The fastest motive to get someone to work is not to give them a handout. Henrietta having a house given to her is not the way to get Henrietta and her able-bodied son to work. The way to get Henrietta and her able-bodied son to work is to take away their car and their, and their food until they earn it. That's how you get them to work. Remember when we had the tsunami of 2004 and all of America was up in arms and and up in giving about how important it was to go over there and salvage what we could for those poor Muslims that got washed away by God's ocean. When they went and did that, we preached a full message on it and it's on the website where you can go and read what the Bible has to say. 
Did you know that there was never one dime spent in either testament by the people of God to help the people of the devil when they encountered a natural disaster? Because there's no such thing as a natural disaster. They're sent from the God of heaven. Jesus never took a collection for the poor orphans in Egypt. It's just not in the Bible. Collections were taken in the New Testament for the saints, the poor saints that were in Judea. The Gentiles raised money in the churches of Asia to ship it across the Mediterranean Sea for the Christians of Judea. Christians work fearfully because they know that if they are not being diligent, that if they are not being wise in career planning, in getting a transferable skill, then tough luck. If you just get up and go to work every day and come home, that is not enough. You are not preparing for the future and don't expect those who have prepared for the future to take care of those who don't. We're not going to practice the economics and the handouts and the bailouts and the subsidies that our government may practice. We can't. We've got to be Christians. And Christians don't do that. The Bible rule is that the narrower the distance between your belly button and your spinal column, the more likely you are to go to work. And if we keep that distance separated by 6 or 12 inches, then you're not going to go to work. The fastest way to learn it is to take away food. A sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. Proverbs chapter 20. We believe in charity and we've practiced it for as long as we've been together as a church and we'll continue to practice it. But the charity is going to be defined by the Bible. Charity only does two things. It only helps those who are trying to help themselves with their might and wits. And charity only helps those that have acts of God in their lives, not acts of foolishness. So Christians work fearfully. Why haven't you found another job? Why don't you have a transferable skill? What did you do to lose your job? You know, we want to consciously be aware of all those things so that we hit that place on time every morning and we don't leave until the job is done and we are respectful and we work diligently and we work conscientiously with an owner's mentality. We work as Christians. And when a man does that, he's our brother. He's not a brother of a sluggard. He's not a brother of a wasteful man. And we take care of that brother. More could be said in the subject, but I hope enough has been said over the years, and maybe more will be said in the future as things get harder. The Church of Jesus Christ is not a general insurance fund. It can't be. It wasn't designed to be, and it shouldn't be. Right. A general insurance fund just makes people lazy. doesn't make them foresightful. If you just get up and go to work and come home and you don't work at, a, at getting a second transferable skill or enhancing your skill, then you are not being wise. You're being foolish. The Lord doesn't want you to be like that. The prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. How does he hide himself? He goes to school and takes some classes. He gets himself a second degree. He gets himself a second skill. There are skills you can get in a few weeks. More coming. Christians work faithfully. So far we've had Christians work respectfully. They show honor to their masters, and they work fearfully because they know that God can judge them if they don't do what God's told them to do. If they don't keep the the rules of working the way that the Lord's laid them out in the Bible, then the Lord's going to blow against them, and it's going to be painful. 
Christians work faithfully. What does that mean? Christians do everything a boss desires to be the ideal employee. That's what it means to be faithful. In Titus chapter 2, and you're not too far away, if you can flip over a few pages to the right in your Bibles, to Titus chapter 2, let's remind ourselves of what Paul told Titus that he was supposed to preach with all authority. Paul told Titus, one of the ministers he trained and put in the island of Crete for the furtherance of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the benefit of the churches there, he said, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And I hope I'm faithful to that calling. I am not going to back down. I am not going to back off. And I am not going to give you Kool-Aid today. I am not going to stroke you, and I'm not going to smooth your ruffled feathers. I want to ruffle your feathers so that you'll humble yourself before the God of heaven, admit that it's in the Bible, and then agree to go out of here and let's do it the Lord's way. I hate a welfare state that we live in, and the church isn't a welfare state. They considered all things common in Acts chapter 2. And those that possessed houses and land sold them and brought the, approach, brought the amount and laid it at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to every man according as he had need. need, not want. Need. And when the word want is used in the New Testament, it means need, not desire. It means food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. That's what it means. It doesn't mean TV, Nintendo, and car. Christians work faithfully. It's, it's hard to find good help in this generation. So a Christian can stand out easily. It's hard to find good help in this generation. So you can easily win the favor of your master by being good help. It is so hard to manage people today. Who in the world would choose to be a manager today? With the kind of people that work. The disrespectful, lazy, dishonest. Who would want to manage them? We can make it easy for a manager by being easy to manage. Cheerfully saying, I'll be happy to do that. If you even sense that your manager has a task that he's afraid to ask those under him because he's afraid that they won't want to do it, then you get in there and volunteer for it. Make it easy to manage. Give me anything that no one else wants. I'll do it. If they don't want to do it, I'll do it. That man's going up by two blessings. The blessings of his master on earth with a little M and the blessings of his master in heaven with the big M. The Lord Jesus Christ. Make it easy. It's hard to manage the lazy, disrespectful sluggards that call, that are the American workforce today. Titus chapter 2 verse 9 exhorts servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. That's faithfulness. Pleasing them well in all things. Pleasing them. Doing it the way they want it to be done. They don't want you to do it the way you want it to be done. I get so sick of, but I got a better idea. No, your better idea was tested ten times over the last five years, and it was flushed eleven times. Do it their way, pleasing them. And how? Well, in what things? All things. Pleasing them well in all things is how a faithful man works on the job. And it goes on to say, not purloining, not answering again, not purloining, verse 10, which is small thefts, but showing all good fidelity. Fidelity is loyalty and faithfulness. Showing, getting it out there, showing it and displaying it, all good fidelity, all good loyalty, all good faithfulness. 
getting it right out there. I'll do it. Don't you leave this place until the job is done. Do you ever leave the place with the job not done? I'll tell them in the morning that it was taking too long. No, you get the job done. Pleasing them well in all things. Showing all good fidelity. I know what you're thinking. If there was ever a living example of a Neanderthal, our pastor is it. Neanderthal. Caveman. Prehistoric. These are not my thoughts. These are God's thoughts. This is Titus chapter 2. Showing all good fidelity. That you will be faithful. Fidelity. What is infidelity? It's, it's usually we use the word infidelity when a spouse commits adultery. Breaks the marriage covenant. What is all good fidelity? It means sticking to your boss and being loyal to him and faithful to him. And doing everything he wants the way he wants it. And doing it well to please him. That's working faithfully. Proverbs chapter, you saw it right there, Titus 2. Proverbs chapter 25. Let me remind you of a text we looked at before. A faithful or an unfaithful employee makes a great difference to bosses. The boss who doesn't know if the guy's going to go do the job the way he told him to or not, it's on his mind constantly. He cannot relax. He cannot go to the next project. He's got to be wondering, is the job going to get done? Proverbs 25 and verse 13, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refresheth the soul of his masters. Do you refresh the soul of your masters, that when they give you an assignment, you get it back on time or early, better than they thought, and cheerfully so? Do you refresh the soul of your masters? Do they get, do they get wide-eyed and bright-faced when you come into their office because they know that you have finished a job for them and that you're looking for the next one? And that if, and if you have another one for them, they're not going to complain that they want a break. They're going to thank you for the privilege of another assignment. Look at this. As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, some cool weather after you're, as you're getting the harvest into the barn, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him. For he refresheth the soul of his masters. When you are sent on an assignment, do you do it well? Do you do it as fast as you can? Do you then call your boss back and say, I'm done with that? Or does he drive to the job site and find you on a break? You know the best time to take a break? There's really only one time. When the job's done. You see, but what if the job's three hours long? Oh, you poor thing. You need a break? Quit and starve. You can have a break. It can last a long time. You can take a break whenever you want to. Faithfulness. Faithfulness on the job. Look at 26.6. He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage. You know, when a man gives a fool an assignment and he goes out there and doesn't do it, it's like cutting off the legs of a person. He drinks damage to himself. By putting a fool in charge of a job. We never want to be that. We want them to be able to count on us so that we do the job and we're faithful. Showing all good fidelity. Look at 1317 in this wonderful book of Proverbs. What? Our, our Father in Heaven is so wonderful. Amen. Our Father in Heaven sent us a library. And if, and if 
you know, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to the great God of heaven at all, but he's sitting in the library of the palaces and mansions in heaven, and he's called you in as his son. And he said, son, sit down. Sit down here. I just want to have a, ch- a chat with you. I'm, I'm going to leave you on planet Earth for 70 years. There's a bunch of lazy people down there, and you're going to have to work. It's, it's a curse that I put upon your family because of the first parents that sinned against me. But I'm going to give you a library of 66 books, and here they are on the shelves. I want to show you the book of Proverbs, son. And he pulls out the book of Proverbs, and he says, This book of Proverbs, son, I had it written by the wisest and richest and most successful king that ever lived. This king observed life his, his whole life. I, I, I made sure he didn't have to fight any battles. He didn't have to go campaigning. <laughs> he didn't have to go ask for tax revenues. He just raised taxes. But he was able to spend his whole life looking and observing. And he wrote down about 900. He wrote 3,000, son. But I've called out the best 900 and put them in this little book called Proverbs. And son, if you'll just flip these pages once in a while, son, you can be successful. And you can take the big udder of this world by your two hands and suck its teeth and fill yourselves. Fill yourself. You can climb the ladder of success and pick the fruit of success off the tree of success. This is one book in my library to you, son. And if you get tired of Proverbs, try Ecclesiastes. If you get tired of Ecclesiastes, go read Genesis about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. They did good. They're good older brothers of yours. They're good examples for you to follow. When you get tired of that and you want something more current, go to Titus chapter 2, where your your brother Paul, he's already gone home, but he's waiting for you. He wrote a few things about being a good employee. Do you know what I'm saying to you? I'm saying that our Father which is in heaven is wonderful and glorious, and He's so kind and loving to give us a library of 66 books that tell us how to be successful in this life. And I wish I was a young man again sitting in this assembly, but God's chosen them an old man now, and I can't do what I once was able to do, and I'm not in your shoes, but those in your shoes like you two young men, listen to what I'm saying. You've got a library given to you by the God of heaven, and some of those pages are written by the wisest king that this world ever saw. By King Solomon, and their short little statements, they're not dry, they're not boring, they're not long. Short, they're sweet. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Is that long? Is that profound? Yeah. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Right. Don't you love your Father in heaven? Amen. If I've been disrespectful to Him, God of heaven forgive me, but I don't believe so at all. That's how He loves us. That's my Abba Father. He sits by the fireplace and tells me how to make it in this world. And what a wonderful book. I need it right now, Jonathan. I need it. Proverbs 22 and verse 11. He that... Do you mean there's a verse in the Bible that tells me how to get the king to be my friend? And, And all I have to do is have a pure heart and gracious lips? That's better than an MBA. Right there in one verse. Are you going to be that man? That's why I live and preach. I only live. Thank you, Jonathan. Was Joseph faithful? Amen. How about with Potiphar's stuff? How about with jail stuff? How about with Pharaoh's stuff? Was he always faithful? Amen. Did Pharaoh say, unless I'm sitting in that throne, it's all yours? 
Did Potiphar say, other than what's on my plate, it's all yours? Don't tell me about it, remember? That's a faithful man. Was Daniel faithful? When they vetted him for 70 years of career, what'd they find? Faultless. That's faithful. Are you faithful like that? Do they want to give you the keys? Would they let you have anything in there? Would your boss let you have his checkbook to go buy something? Would he give you his credit card? How much does he trust you? Christians are faithful. Was David faithful under King Saul? Did he go out, did he go out and come in? And did all the people know that he behaved himself very wisely because he was very faithful? Did he do whatever King Saul told him to do? Yes. Let's go to another one. Are you faithful? Do they know you to be faithful? Will they trust you with anything? I knew a man once in one of the most regulated industries in this country. When they opened up a new department where the greatest financial risk could take place with trading decisions, I knew a man that they told him to write the policy that would restrict his own activities. That's just pure insanity from a business standpoint. You let auditors write you let auditors write policies to govern those who have a great deal of financial risk in their fingertips for a business. How faithful are you? I know that some of you have keys. You can go into your place of business whenever you want to because they trust you explicitly. That's wonderful. Christians work prudently. Look at 22.3. Let's turn the... Do you love your library of 66 books? Amen. Do you like the fire? Keeping you warm in there, reading those books? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Does he call a fire in the Bible? It says, quench not the Spirit. What do you quench? A fire. And our Father is so kind to us. Look at these verses. 22.3, a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Christians work prudently. What does a prudent man do? He looks ahead. He looks ahead and says, I can see some trouble coming. Therefore, I better change. I better adjust. I need to make some changes so that I can adapt to what's coming. I can see it coming. Christians always watch and consider to avoid professional or employment trouble that's coming. You can do this by going and getting a degree. A two-year degree, a four-year degree, a six-year degree, a 12-year degree, an 18-year degree. Whatever you need. I mean, it doesn't matter. Do something to protect yourself from the future. The economy can change. Your industry can change. Your company can change. Your department can change. All those things can change. All of them can change or one of them can change and it will affect you. But, and don't say to me, I'm not God. God didn't say you were God, but God did give you two eyes and a mind, and He told you to look ahead and foresee the evil and hide yourself. And we're going through some changes right now. And so we need to be looking ahead. A prudent man foresees the evil. For means he sees it before it happens. He foresees the evil and he hides himself. He makes adjustments before it comes upon him and takes him. How about chapter 27? Proverbs chapter 27. Boy, if you were five years into the auto industry, could you have seen the writing on the wall? Could you have been as good as Daniel and seen the hand come out and write in the wall? And when it said, meeny, meeny, tekel, upfarsen, what it meant was, GM is going out of business. That's what it meant. 
And so if you were five years into a career with GM, then you need to find yourself another job. Maybe you could go wash all the GM cars sitting on dealer lots that aren't going to sell. Maybe you could go join the demolition crews that are going to tear down GM factories. Do you look ahead and see all that and do something about it? Or do you just get up and go to work and come home and think that you've done pretty good? You're foolish and you're lazy. I don't care how hard you worked while you were there. It doesn't matter. You weren't foresightful to look ahead and see trouble coming and adjust accordingly. Look at how it's worded in 27. This is the wise man. This is reaching up to take the book of Proverbs off the shelf from the Lord's library. Proverbs 27:23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. See, this is a different kind of diligence. There's diligence by sweating. There's diligence by getting a pump in your biceps by lifting up the next piece of wood. There's diligence by applying yourself to programming or system analysis when it's frustrating and you can't seem to find what's going wrong. There's, there's that kind of diligence, but that's not this diligence. This diligence is to look ahead and say, am I still going to have a job at Lockheed one year from now? Am I going to still have a job at New Wave one year from now? Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation? No, it doesn't. Times, they are changing, and we better adjust to them. And so a prudent man thinks ahead and makes adjustments. If you need to seek counsel, then seek counsel. If you're so caught up in it, you're kind of lost, then go get four or five successful brothers in the church that are older and successful. When the Bible says to seek safety in a multitude of counselors, that does not mean while you're playing basketball with your basketball buddies, you ask them, what should I do? That is not seeking safety in a multitude of counselors. That's seeking destruction in a multitude of fools. That's what Rahab... I'm sorry. But it's the truth. That's what Rehoboam did. Rehoboam was out on the basketball court with his buddies playing horse. And he said, what do you guys think I should do about this taxation issue with the ten tribes? They said, screw them. Screw them, man. We can start flying around the world in your corporate jet. The old men said, if you'll back off the high taxes that your father had on this nation, the people will serve you forever. That's the kind of counselors you want to get. The old and wise and successful men in the church. Did you hear me? The old, the wise, and the successful men in the church that have been through a few things in their time, and they've shown their strength by having gotten through hard times before. They can give you some guidance. Push them. Do you know that counsel in a man's heart is like a well of water? You're going to have to get in there and lower a bucket and pull it out. You're going to have to, they say, prime the pump. Because some men don't talk very readily. If they need a good glass of Cabernet, get them a good glass of Cabernet. If they need to be relaxed, then get them relaxed. If they need to be praised into talking, praise them into talking. But get something out of them. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. You've got you to pull it up to the surface. They Okay, Christians work prudently. That's what I'm trying to teach you, because the Bible tells us to, that Christians work prudently. So seek counsel. Oh, and if you're going to take on some new investment that looks too good to be true, why don't you ask five counselors in the church if they think it's true? You know, Bernie Madoff made off with a lot of money. 
but Bernie Madoff only made off with a lot of money because Bernie Madoff ran into a bunch of dupes. Right. And you know, those dupes were a pretty neat collection of them. Some of the cool cats of the world. And they invested in a scheme that was giving returns that were impossible. That poor man that followed him for the last 12 years and wrote the SEC over and over and over and over again and proved mathematically that what Bernie Madoff was doing was criminal. Poor guy, they never listened to him. But he's a hero. He's a real American hero. He tried. But Bernie Madoff can never take advantage of someone who's a little prudent. Do you know what prudent men say? There's no such thing as a free lunch except in the gospel. And Bernie Madoff wasn't preaching the gospel. Are you looking ahead about your job? The textile industry was once pretty big around here, wasn't it? Most everybody made their money from the textile industry. Then the textile industry went the way of the dinosaur. And you needed to see that coming in advance. And it came slowly over time. One plant, and then if you, if you read just a little bit and heard about where clothing was being made and how it was being made, things were a-changing, and you could have adjusted to it in time, but it took a little bit of foresightfulness. Detroit's changing right now. It's changing pretty fast. They were in love with their big three buddies, but the big three buddies could be two by the end of next week, and they might be one by the end of the following week. Then that one could be scarfed up. There might be none, because who in the world would want an auto plant in Detroit, Michigan? Those people are the most entitled people around. They don't know how to work for a real wage. They're so spoiled by the big three, they don't know how to work. So those companies should open up plants in other places of the country like South Carolina. And let's hope that the Lord just may do that. We don't want any saints to suffer in any place, but that may be necessary. Christians work cheerfully. I have many points. Do you know how many I have? I have 44. But there's a limit to today, and I'm going to, fi- I'm going to keep that limit. And I'm going to get this outlined to you by the grace of God within 24 hours, and I hope that you'll look at it and realize it's just a summary of that 66-book library that the Lord gave us on how he wants us to work. But let's jump to this one. I just want to take a couple minutes on Christians work cheerfully. Do you understand the difference between cheerfulness and willingness? Do you married men like a willing wife or a cheerful wife? Cheerful. Think about anything you want. A willing wife or a cheerful wife? Women? A cheerful wife's a whole lot better than a willing wife. When you ask your child to go cut the grass, do you like a willing son or a cheerful son? Cheerful. Do you like this sound or the next sound? Okay. What does that do to you men, that sound? Okay. What's unsaid is the ellipsis there. Let's you, he, there's an ellipsis there, isn't there? If I have to. Okay. If I have to. Versus, sure, I'll do it. Thanks, Dad. I know. But what about when a boss asks you to do something? I'm going to be respectful. I'm not going to tell him what I'm thinking. Okay. Shoulders slump. You know, the Bible talks about body... Does the body where does the Bible talk about body posture? Lift up the, the knees that hang down and the feeble hands. Where does it... 
Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible knows about body language. The Lord knows about body language, and He told us our body language should be picked up. We should be cheerful. It's good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Your boss asks you to do something, sure, I'll be glad to do that. Be right back. Even if it's a six-hour project. I'll be right back. And you show them some zeal. Cheerfulness. Attitude about work is nearly as important as the work you do. What's your attitude about the work? What's your spirit toward that work? Both God and men value the spirit that a man has highly. What was Joseph really chosen for? Was it bicep measurements in front of Pharaoh? What was the word that was chosen? Was it biceps? That is a six-letter word. But there's another word that has six letters. And it's far better than biceps. What is it? Spirit. They said... He, he said to those around him, the spirit of the holy gods is in this man. He is of an excellent spirit. Daniel was of an excellent spirit in Daniel chapter 6. That's attitude toward things. Purity of heart. Sure, Dad, I'd love to do it. Thank you for asking. I thought you were going to give it to one of my brothers. To the boss. Thank you, sir. For giving me that assignment and, not, and trusting me with it and not someone else. You say, that sounds sick. You know, it just sounds unusual in our society. It's not sick. It's wonderful. Amen. It's a great spirit. Yeah. Cheerfully. Every man knows the difference that attitude makes in child obedience or in lovemaking by his wife. Since Christians work heartily as to the Lord, shouldn't they be working with great cheer? If we're working heartily, from our hearts, passionately, as to the Lord, shouldn't there be a great deal of cheerfulness in it? Right. Since we're doing it heartily and to the Lord? If the Lord loves a cheerful giver, I can tell you He loves a cheerful worker too. Because the Lord loves the attitude that we put into our work. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do with your might. To be zealously affected always in a good thing is good. And we want to do that on the job. Christians work submissively. You can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 where you read last night, the Lord willing. If you didn't read last night, then you're going down according to Luke 8.18. Take heed therefore how you hear. If the word of God isn't important enough to you to read, to prepare yourself to come here and to hear the words of wisdom and to be prepared, then you're hurting yourself. This point that I'm about to make, I am asked so many times I get that reflect on this passage, that I get to use this passage as an answer is what I'm trying to say. I am asked so often about how, but you don't know my, bo- I've, got this, I've got this problem at work. And so tell me about your problem at work. And when they're done, do you know what it boils down to? They have a forward master. I have this problem in my marriage. You know what it boils down to? They have a forward husband. Now listen, if you want to call me about your forward master or your forward husband, I want, I want to take your call, but I'm going to tell you ahead of time where I'm going to turn. So if you want to save the time, right. you can turn to it right now. But I'll be happy to hear it. But this is where I'm going to turn you. And I've had to use this passage so many times, and I love this passage. And I've already taught this passage to you 20 times plus. But let's go over it one more time real quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Christians work submissively is the point that we're making right now. Christians work Submissively, and this is point number six. 
of this morning's study. What does it mean? Christians cheerfully submit to bad bosses by their confidence and trust in God who gave them that boss. Here we read it in God's Word. Servants. 1 Peter 2.18 Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. I'm no man's subject. I'm no man's slave. I'm no man's servant. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. When you have a froward boss, what does the word froward mean? Naughty, wicked, evil, obnoxious. The boss. He promises you a raise and doesn't give it to you. He gives you assignments that are uglier than the assignments he gives your peers. He passes you over for promotions. He disrespects you in departmental meetings. He's froward. Well, then I'm going to organize, I'm going to organize the other workers and we're going to throw them out. No, it says servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. And why do we do it? Out of conscience toward God. Because God gave you that boss. God ordained authority. God ordained the business structure of masters and servants. And it's out of conscience toward God. We have a conscience that says, I want to please God. Remember, we're not men pleasers. We don't do things in the sight of men to just win their favor. We want to win the favor of God. So here is a rule. To be subject to the forward is thankworthy. If you are a good employee to a good master, you have proven nothing. It is not submission. It's like I say when I'm speaking on marriage, it's a vacation. When you have a good boss who's very considerate and very careful to be fair with all of his employees and only gives you your fair allotment of assignments and he keeps his promises and he gives you raises and he gives you surprise days off, a good and gentle boss, when you submit to that one, in fact, you can't submit because there's no submission involved. It's just a partnership. Submission is when somebody asks you to do something you don't want to do. The froward boss has already offended you. He asked you to do something you don't want to do. But you submit to him anyway, suffering wrongfully. You're right. He's wrong. And God admits it. Are you with me? The boss is wrong. You're right. And God admits it. But what does God tell you to do anyway? To endure that grief out of conscience toward Him. So that you can be a little tiny bit like the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the next four verses go on to describe that Jesus Christ did no sin. He had no faults in the workplace. If you'll follow the metaphor that the Holy Spirit gave us. He did no sin. There was no guile in His mouth. There was no dishonesty in His conduct. When He was reviled, He threatened not. He did not get into any arguing matches in the boss's office. And yet he was crucified for it. And if you want to be just a little bit like him, out of conscience toward God, you will put up with being mistreated. 
If you want to show that the devil is your father, you will fight back. Because the devil is the father of all murderers. And if you speak against your boss behind his back, and if you fight him in his position of authority, you're wrong. This is what the Bible teaches. When you have a problem at work, you can get rid of your problem by submitting to your boss out of conscience toward God. When you have a problem with an overbearing husband, you can get rid of that problem by submitting to him. This is the word of the Lord. This is thankworthy. This is good. This is good conduct. This is the special stuff. This is the Lord saying to his son in the library, Son, if you want to be special, this is how you do it. You wait till you have a forward boss. The good and gentle are too easy. Wait till you have a forward boss. And out of conscience toward me, because you're thinking about me, because you want to please me, you endure the grief that he causes you, suffering wrongfully. I know that you're right. You know I know that you're right. And you know that vengeance is mine. I will repay. But you go ahead and sub- subject yourself to that master with all fear. This is the word of the Lord. And I don't care how contrary it sounds to this generation that thinks you have rights. You have responsibilities and they're right here. For what glory is it? Do you deserve glory? Do you deserve praise? Have you done anything thankworthy? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. If you've been reprimanded and letters have been sent to HR to put in your file because you have faults in the job and you take that patiently, what have you proven? That you're a double idiot. You were an idiot, first of all, for having the fault in the workplace. And the second one was for thinking you've suffered by being written up for your fault. But if, when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. That is Christianity. That is Christianity. That is Christianity. When ye do well, and you suffer because you did well, and you take it patiently, that is Christianity, because you're looking like the Lord Jesus Christ. He did well, he suffered for it, and he took it patiently out of conscience toward God. Did Jacob have a froward master? What was his name? Laban. Jacob would say to Laban, or about Laban, how many times did Laban change his wages unfairly? Ten. When he worked seven years for his beautiful daughter Rachel, when he woke up the morning after, who was he with? Had he been tricked by his father-in-law? Did he work faithfully for him for twenty years? Out of conscience toward whom? Out of conscience toward God, that the Lord would take care of him. When he arrived in Laban's territory, how much did he own? A staff. When he left, how much did he own? He had to travel in two bands. The Lord takes... Do you, do you, believest thou this? Do you believe the word of God? If you can work submissively, the Lord will take care of you. We've been over Joseph so many times... Would it have been a natural response for Joseph to resent his Egyptian master? Would it have been natural for him to take out his hatred and resentment of his brother? I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying it's natural. 
to think about running away, to think about stealing, to think about possibly assassinating his master? Would that have been natural? Is that the way Hollywood thinks? Is that the way America thinks? Would it have been natural? Would it have been natural to have been bought as a slave and to be a slave in Egypt for Potiphar and to resent that man for buying you and that man's wife wants to sleep with you? Would that have been the ultimate revenge on a man who bought you as a slave to have taken his wife to bed? Would that have been the ultimate revenge against a master? Why didn't he? The Bible tells us. Why didn't he? Out of conscience toward God. How can I sin against God and do this terrible sin? Aren't those great examples in the Bible? No wonder we say Joseph is great. Do you know how sweet the revenge would have been when you had the master's wife wanting you in the bed? Did King Saul try to kill David? Don't answer hastily. How many times? Are you thinking the two times while he was playing the harp? Think more. Think hundreds. He chased them all over the place. Did David submit to that and trust the Lord God when he had the chance he didn't kill King Saul? Praise the Lord. Daniel was effectively kidnapped, had his homeland ravaged, his religion mocked, his testicles cut off, and assigned to work for the man who did it all. But did he serve him faithfully? Served him faithfully. Did he do okay on the job? I read someplace that Darius had 127 provinces. And over those 127 provinces, he put three presidents. And over them, Daniel was chief. I think he did okay on the job. Christians work submissively. If you have a problem at work and the problem comes down to a boss that's difficult to get along with or he's downright wrong in some of his decisions, the Bible says to bear it patiently. Now let me say one one little caveat that the Bible allows you, and especially in America, the way our employment relationships exist. If you can't take it, quit. Quit. But as long as you're there... Don't speak against him and don't rebel, but submit to him and bear it patiently. Where do I get the verse that says you can quit? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me read it to you. You may want to look at it. You may need it. First, I remember a job I quit after four days. I hope that I was justified. I had more fiberglass dust in my lungs, bloodstream, saliva glands, nostrils. I was, I was making some of the... Uh, the the casings for the monitors of the first CRTs and computers that were coming out. I was about 17 years old. What a job. Ann Arbor Terminals, it was called. Four days. It was a job for four days. Verse 21, 1 Corinthians seven twenty-one. The boss wasn't bad on that job. I couldn't see the boss. Because I was in a cloud of fiberglass dust. Art thou called being a servant? First Corinthians 7.21 Art thou called being a servant? Did I save you while you were a servant? Care not for it. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. 
But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. Go ahead and get free if you can be. If it's easy enough for you to be free and become a free man, not a slave or a servant, go ahead and do it. And if you can quit without violating anyone, without violating any employment contract, giving a proper notice, go ahead and do it. Christians work submissively, though, and that's an important rule. Christians work loyally. One more point before we break. Christians will defend their bosses and owners as far as they possibly can. They will be loyal. That's all good fidelity. That's showing all good fidelity. Christians will inform supervisors or other management of wrongdoing when it's appropriate. Slander is a sin for telling a lie about someone in order to defame them or hurt them. Slander, libel, is a sin in the Word of God because you are telling a lie about someone in order to hurt them. Backbiting, tail-bearing, or its short version, tattling, or whispering, that's four words in the Bible, they're all sins because you're telling the truth about a person to hurt them or to defame them. Those are all sins in the Bible because of your intent and your motive. Slander's a double sin because you're telling a lie about someone. Whispering, tattling, tail-bearing, and backbiting is a sin because you're telling the truth about someone that doesn't need to be told. Christians work loyally. We don't slander, nor do we backbite, tailbear, tattle, or whisper about those around us or over us in the workplace. Telling someone in authority about wrongdoing by someone under their authority is not slander, nor backbiting, nor tailbearing, tattling, or whispering if you're doing it for the purpose of helping the person in authority, not just to hurt someone. The difference is so obvious. If you see a thief breaking into your neighbor's house and you call the police, you are not guilty of backbiting. I cannot believe the confusion that exists sometime on this matter. This is so simple. It's your intent that makes all the difference in the world. Your intent, well, in this intent, you do want to get the thief in trouble. But what you're doing is trying to protect that neighbor's assets and help the police nail a criminal. You serve your master well by informing those in authority about problems that are arising that they don't know about. And yes, you better do it discreetly, and you better do it carefully, and you better do it respectfully and humbly, and you better search your heart before you do it, that you are not doing it with any false motive in mind. But do you know that Joseph did it about his brothers? Did Joseph bring the evil report of his brothers to his father Jacob? How is Jacob going to know what was going on out there? And if any young man in here says, well, that was, then, then he wouldn't be bothered by it. You have a sick mind, and I can't wait until you have a bunch of children. You're sick. When you find out how hard it is to be a good father, you're sick. Why do you want to pr- protect evildoers? That's all you're doing is protecting evildoers. You're not protecting dad. Dad will do a whole lot better knowing about the evil that's going on because he can then deal with it, not get surprised by neighbors or kings or others telling him about it. Joseph did it. The house of Chloe did it. The house of Chloe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 informed the Apostle Paul that there was strife going on in the church that was at Corinth, and Paul mentions them by name. He wouldn't have known how bad the situation was at the church at Corinth if the house of Chloe hadn't informed him of it. You don't do it for every little offense. But you do it for anything that would cause problems in the company, hinder productivity, 
and hurt the master, you keep them informed. Christians are loyal. Christians will never endorse or participate in labor union activities, even if, out of a matter of Christian liberty, they join a union. I do not have time to go at full length into the subject of unions, but unions are organized anarchists. Unions are organized seditionists. Unions are organized insurrectionists. Unions are organized thieves because they're stealing from the company. By shutting work down. They don't know authority. They're brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. A godly nation would roll the M1 Abrams and grind them under the treads on the asphalt streets. And blow them away with a fire truck's hose. They have no place in society. They are worthless. What keeps masters honest is the word of God and the civil arm of the government. Not by little workers taking a plant over. Henry Ford may have had his problems, but I do love one thing about Henry Ford. When he hired 500 gunmen that stood on the bridge entering into Dearborn, Michigan, and defended one of his plants about 50 years ago. Bless his heart. Ronald Reagan would have stood right there with them cheering. Remember what he did to the air traffic controllers in this country? Who, is, who are unions always associated with? The dark elements of the criminal elements of a society. Because that's what they are. They are rebels. They are anarchists. They are the reason that the workers at the big three will no longer have jobs. That's right. They are the reason. Right. They are the reason that everyone that worked for Eastern Airlines no longer has a job. They are the reason. They cost jobs because they want more than they're worth. And the re- only way they get it is by extortion. They can never get it by reasoning. They can never get it by productivity. They can never get it by any way that every other man gets return. They get it by extortion and by threats and by shutting down a plant. That's extortion. Whenever you bring any power to bear to make a person make a decision that they otherwise would not make. It's a Christian liberty to join one just to avoid the hassle on the job if you didn't. If you want the hassle on the job, then don't join one. But I've always taught that it's a matter of Christian liberty. But what they stand for is to be hated. And their practices, to be hated. If I were to join a union before I ever signed it, signed the piece of paper, I'd walk in and tell management, I want you to know I'm one of you. And I will break any strike. If there's a strike against this plant and you want the strike broken, I will break the strike. I will do whatever you want me to as management. I'm only joining it to keep a fight out of your ranks. And to protect my family. You say, how in the world can you join something wrong in order to protect yourself? Read the Bible sometime. Instead of making a judgment about principle, because you're not talking about principle, you're talking about pride. See, the principle, the principle is that Rimmon was a stone idol. That's the principle. And Naaman said, Elisha, may I go home and worship in the house of Rimmon with my master when I, not worship, from the heart, but worship in action, because I have to go in there and accompany him in the worship of Rimmon. Can I do that? Go in peace. Joseph defended the priests 
and, and gave them tax exemption in the taxing of Egypt when Joseph ran the nation of Egypt. Is that principle? Yeah, that's principle. But it's mercy. It's mercy that overrides sacrifice. Most men want to fight because they're full of pride. There's no reason to fight in a matter like this. Let the union have the union. Any company that allowed a union, they deserve a union. It's a liberty to join one. But to engage in their activities would be anarchy, sedition, rebellion, theft, and, and other crimes. It would be violating everything about being a good employee. A wise man should tell his non-union management that he's on their side, and he should inform them of any organizers that are working among the rank and file to, call, to create a union. We're talking about working loyally. The first way we work loyally, when we, when we focus on this point loyal, we inform management of anything that we can do to help them. Just like we inform the police of anything we observe in the way of a criminal. If we see someone acting real suspicious, we call the police and say there's these suspicious activities taking place at such and such a place, you may want to check it out. That's not whispering, that's not backbiting, that's helping them. The Bible has examples, I already gave them to you, of Joseph with his dad, and of Chloe with the Apostle Paul about the church at Corinth. I'm sure there are others in the Bible as well. Right. Do you remember Mordecai? Mordecai served the king Ahasuerus, who had taken the Jews captive, and was holding them in the Persian Empire. When Mordecai overheard a conspiratorial plot to assassinate Ahasuerus, what did he do? Did he go home and call all the Jews in the telephone and email them saying, I think in a couple of days our enemy is going to get knocked off? Nope. Did he inform the king that there's a conspiracy against you right. to assassinate you? And he protected the king's life. That's loyalty. What kind of a man was he protecting? A pagan. But what office was he in? <coughs> king. But it wasn't a constitutional king, was it? It was a de facto king. And he protected that king. Please remember all these lessons from the Bible. Was Mordecai a great man? Did the Lord bless him? Did that king end up saving their entire people? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Christians work loyally. Christians work respectfully. We give honor to our bosses. We work fearfully. Remember that God will judge us if we don't do it his way. We work faithfully, trying to be the ideal employee because it's hard to find good help today. And we want to be that good help. Number four, Christians work prudently. They watch and consider and they look ahead to protect themselves from trouble that could affect their job. Christians work cheerfully. They're not just willing. They're cheerful about working for their boss. They work submissively, even if they've got a forward master. Not just the good and gentle that do they get excited about working for, but they submit and endure grief and endure it patiently even when they're working for a forward master. That was number six. And number seven, Christians work loyally. They will inform a boss of things that would help them. They wouldn't be participate in the activities of a union. And they're faithful and loyal to protect that business and that boss that they're under. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.